May 11th, 2022. This morning's class is dedicated and donated in memory of Norman Esses, Alav HaShalom, by Joey Esses and family. At the very top, let's start from three words onto the line, and it's the opinion of Ben Azai, who's explaining to us that when the Torah tells us don't allow life for Kishuv, to a person who's a sorcerer, which we've defined and we've dealt with and tried to explain what sort of circumstance. The Gemara will give us a lot more on this page, uh, but the Torah tells us put to death. What sort of death penalty? So we've seen Rabbi Yosef, we've seen different opinions, and the, the mainstream opinion seems to be Sekilam. How do you derive that? The Torah just says, Lo Ben Azai Omer Ne'eman Lo On the one hand, the Pasuk says, in Parashat Mishpatim, don't give life, don't allow for life to Kishuf, to a person who is a Mechashef, and immediately thereafter the Pasuk says, The Pasuk says that anyone who commits bestiality gets put to death. We learned on Dafnun Dalid exactly how we know that a person who commits bestiality gets put to death with Sikila, and says Ben Azai, uh, the Torah is making simuchin. Simuchin means adjacent pesukim to learn from one to the other. Ma shochevim behema biskila. The same way that a person who commits bestiality gets put to death by uh, by stoning. Af mechashef biskila. So to a person who commits uh, witchcraft, sorcery, gets put to death with sekila. Amalor bihuda. Rabbi Uda, uh, not interested in such a dirasha. As I mentioned to you uh, yesterday, Rabbi Uda in Masechet Yivamot, we're told, is lodoresh simuchin. This sort of concept of how to interpret the Torah by two adjacent pesukim is not his methodology. He doesn't have, he doesn't subscribe to such an approach to the Torah. Are you telling me because they're written adjacent one to the other? It's one thing if it's a fehekesh, if it's mentioned in the same sentence, in the same pasuk, Two pesukim, one next to the other. We don't make derashot to the extent that we'll learn halachot. That's the claim of Rabbi Uda. There is, of course, to be certain, a methodology or, or a philosophy that underlies that for our purposes. He doesn't accept simuchin. Ela, so Rabbi Uda, what's your derasha? Do you have an explanation to why it is or how you know what the punishment is for mechashefa? All the Torah told me was lo He says, certainly I do. It's from a different sort of derasha. It's from a derasha in which I have a kelal, and you have something which is yosem in ha-kelal, and we say it's lo lelamed al-atzmo what we refer to in that context is there's a general statement. The general statement in the Torah is mecha shefa lo sorcery, witchcraft, you may not give life to. Great, general, all is inclusive. Then the Torah explicitly mentions separately perat, details, and that is of v'yede'oni, the certain types of sorcery and witchcraft, the Ov and the Yodoni, which we learned about a page ago. And in that context, the Torah says explicitly they get put to death by stoning, by Sekilah. Now, the way that we understand the Torah, we say this every morning or every Shabbat morning or whenever you have a chance to, is that the Perat, which comes out, the fact that the Torah details two examples, or one example, generally speaking, is to teach you about the general principle. I start the class and I give you a general principle about something. Then I give you one detail with regards to one aspect of that. The assumption is, according to the Midot Torah Nidreshet, that when I gave you that one detail, unless you have a reason to say otherwise, it's now explaining and shedding light on the Kelal. Says Rabbi, Rabbi, says Rabbi Huda, that's how it works over here as well. 
Oviedoni to aspects, to details, to piratin in the kelal, in the collective, the general aspect of mechashefa, bichlal mechashefim hayu. They were a part of this general rule. Velama yaseu, and why does the Torah take them out? Why are they extracted and mentioned separately? Lehakisha alehen, to make a connection from them to the general principle and rule. Vidomar lecha mal oviyodoni biskila, af mechashef biskila. To teach you the punishment. That's the derasha, says Rabbi Uda. Now the Gemara has one last comment on Rabbi Uda, and then it moves on. The last comment on Rabbi Uda is that it's a, a bit interesting on another level, Rabbi Uda's statement. First and foremost, he revealed to us, we now know, he doesn't subscribe to simuchim, to adjacent pesukim, the Ben Azai type of interpretation he doesn't accept. But furthermore, there's something of, of altogether d- different new in his opinion. There's a, there's, there's a different chidush, and that is, of and yidde'oni is what we might call shenei ketubim haba'im kehad, another uh, Talmudic methodological uh, statement. What is shenei ketubim haba'im kehad? It works as follows. The Torah, we've talked about binyana, on many occasions, the Torah, the way we understand the Torah, the way we have tradition to interpret the Torah, goes as follows. It will tell you one concept in one circumstance and assume that you'll apply it to all other circumstances. That stands to reason. That's the way the Torah is written. It's, uh, you know, it brings to mind in that context the way uh, Rashi, quoting from the Midrash, says that at the beginning of Aseret HaDeberot, the Pasuk says that God spoke kol hadivarim all of these matters, says Rashi. He spoke all of the Ten Commandments at one at once, and then he broke them up. Strange statement. Why would he speak them all at once? If you can't hear and understand them all at once, it's for this sort of concept, above and beyond anything else. It's to tell you the Torah is to be interpreted as one. It's homogenous. It's all the same thing. You need to apply one law to the next, unless you have a reason not to. That's what we call a binyanab. You build a father out of this. You look at each mitzvah as if it's a paradigm to others. Well, if that's the case, the Torah doesn't need to mention the same law or a similar law twice. Mentioning it once, I should be able to apply it unless you tell me why I wouldn't apply it. Why does the Torah need to teach me the identical law by both Ov and Yideoni that they could put to death by stoning? It appears as if the claim to Rabbi is it's only Ov and Yideoni and not everything else. That's what we would call Shnei Ketubim Habayim Kehad. It's two Pesukim or two Halachot which come so quote unquote together. And Melam Medim, you can't derive from that elsewhere. That's the claim against Rabbi Udar, Rabbi Udar. We would have been okay. We would have been happy. But what happened? The response of the Gemara over here, and it's another one of these principles that you have to then apply to throughout Talmud. The Gemara will say Rabbi Uda doesn't subscribe to that methodology either. Rabbi Uda thinks even though the Torah could have only mentioned it once. Okay, I mentioned it twice. No, why did it have to mention it twice? As it is, that's the way it is. And the Gemara in many places, the two come to mind, but in many places say, okay, Bishlama, it's all understood. If you're to tell me that we can't learn now, I understand why I need this. But according to the opinion, who's the opinion? This is a point Tosafot makes in Masechet Kiddushin, as I recall. Uh, this is Rabbi Uda, and we learn it from over here. Says the Gemara, wait a second. Again, as Nathan made clear, if it just said of the Torah, if it just said Yidde'onish, okay, that would be very nice. We'd be able to use that and derive from that. We'd say it was a Kelal and a Perat. 
else. But why do you need two? It seems to be minimizing, telling me it's only those two, in which case you can't apply all mechashefa, the punishment of sekila. Amar bizechariah, ada amera. Ada means in truth, explains Rashi. It's a word that's not used often in the Gemara. In truth, he was saying, Kasavar biuda, shene ketubim abayim kehad melamedim, period. Biuda's opinion, contrary to the mainstream opinion, uh, hard to logically wrap your head around. If we do accept that Torah could and does mention one concept in one circumstance and you apply it to elsewhere, why would it mention it twice? Okay, that's the Bihuda's opinion. The Gemara now moves onward now in, in describing and then getting strange and weird and weirder in the context of description of how Mechashifa works and the encounter of the Hachamim with it. So let's see. Says the Gemara, Amar Biohanan, Lama Nikra Sheman Keshafim. The Torah says Mechashifa. The Torah talks about Kishuf. Why is it called Kishuf? Says the Gemara, it's a notrikon. It's a, it's, a, it's a word which is compounded, two separate words and put together. Chishin pamalya shel ma'ala. Mechashefa is melashon hakhasha, to diminish, to weaken. Pamalya, pamalya is the legions of above. So mechashefa is, so to speak, putting those right. Oh, what is it? It's that they weaken the legions of above. It's so to speak, quote unquote, mamash, quote unquote, it's a threat to God or it changes the godly plan. And here's the important point. The reason it was quote-unquote is it doesn't say the godly plan. It says, Pamalya shel ma'ala. Pamalya shel ma'ala is God's interaction with the world. Nobody can and will change the will of God or the ways of God. What Mechashefa, the Gemaraz, Rabbi Yohanan's words over here, appears to be is, it does have a way of twisting or changing the way in which we will encounter the world, the way in which his will and word will be implemented in our. That's already a very, very critical line. And I'll tell you why, because as I mentioned in the past, don't, don't think we're ending the conversation here, but let me just begin it in this context. Harambam, both in his Sefer HaMitzvot, and in Hilchot Avodah Zarah and Perek Yoda Aleph writes explicitly this whole Mechashefa business, this whole Kishuf, nothing. I mean nothing. Sekila. That's right, you get put to death with Sekila, but don't for a second believe, not for a single second that there's any validity to it. Nobody actually ever did X, Y, or Z from Mechashefa. Never. No such thing. As a result, if you recall, when we were talking about Ov, I read to you from Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam. Remember, I brought in the book and I read to you because that was always difficult for me. How does Harambam resolve the fact that in the Navi you have some sort of kishuf? If you remember, Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam said, with Shaul and Shemuel, that's right. How did that exist? Rabbeinu Avraham suggested it was dimayon, some sort of trans-like state. There was nothing valid and legitimate to the extent that they're actually conjuring up spirits, so to speak. That's Rabbeinu Avraham. Now, that's not the mainstream opinion. The mainstream opinion is otherwise. The mainstream opinion is there was and is a legitimacy to it. It sounds like that from this line in the Gemara. Of course, the question will beg itself, and Harambam answers it. So then why is it forbidden according to Harambam? Nonsense is forbidden. So I have told you the story in the past. I told you that my, my father's rabbi, they once asked him, are you allowed, it was, came up in our Gemara, are you allowed to bow at the beginning of a karate match? So he said, asur, asur. So, so why is it asur? And they quoted him the Gemara, which it's very clearly not asur if the intention is not to worship. And so he said, because it's stupid, and anything that's stupid is asur. So that's the first vantage point, but Harambam says better than that. So as Harambam, if you're involved in such an enterprise, if you're dealing with mechashefa, you're misleading people to proper thought. 
people, even though there is law legitimacy, it's not because in essence you did something quote unquote that affected the fabric of reality like the others, like the mainstream opinion and in interpreting what Kishuf was, Ramban, Tosafot, and so forth. It's rather you're doing nonsense, I mean, to use that story and to bring it further, and you're misleading people. People now have skewed thoughts. That's a problem in and of itself. That's Harambam's approach. This line in the Gemara, of course, could be explained according to Harambam. It's a lot more difficult. Makhishin pamalya shel ma'ala means it appears as if, or people's interpretation of your words lead them to believe that you're negating, quote unquote, the way things should be going. Doesn't sound like that, especially from the next line in the Gemara. But that's the way Harambam, I believe, would maintain. The Gemara goes on where it says the Gemara. In od milevadot, pasuk the beginning of Sefer Devarim, right? Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Am Yisrael, atahoreta ladat ki Adonai wa'elohim. In od milevadot, loosely translated as there is no other aside from him. Amar bihanina afilu lidvar keshafim says bihanina even for a matter of sorcery. That sounds like it runs counter to the, the statement just a moment ago. Rabbi Yohanan said, it's makhishin pamalyash al-ma'ala. Says Rabbi Yohanina, there's no such other force. Again, it doesn't necessarily, although we'll have to read the words in the Gemara, doesn't necessarily negate the earlier source, the earlier opinion, because ultimately speaking, he might be speaking reality. And the Rabbi Yohanan is the way people interpret it. You see this guy doing it. Oh my goodness, look how he's affecting heavens. Rabbi Yohanan says, but let me tell you the truth. He's not actually. But listen to how the Gemara continues. Says the Gemara, Hahi itita. There was a woman. We switched the Tafat Tashin. The Havat Kamehadera. She was searching. She was seeking. Lemishkal to take, to remove Afra. Uh, dirt or sand, mitute The same Rabbi Hanina who told us, "En od milibado, kishafim has no room to affect God, to affect the, the, you know anything." Let's say she was walking behind Rabbi Hanina, trying to grab some sand, some dirt from underneath him, with which she was going to use uh, some sort of sorcery and witchcraft against him. Bihanina picks up on this and says, basically, Fadal. Amar la says Rabbi Hanina to this woman, imistayat. If, if you're successful, zili amidi, fadali, go and do it. En od milivado kitib. Pasuk says, en od milivado. You're not going to get in the way of the plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Listen, if he seeks my harm, if my time has come, it's going to happen. Not because of your witchcraft and your sorcery. So he does appear to be negating it. Harambam would be very excited about this Gemara until the punchline over here says the Gemara ini. Is it really so? Doesn't this fly in the face of what we read a moment ago? After all, uh, I thought it does have some effect on the way the world works. I thought that could have some validity, some legitimacy. I can't tell you exactly how that works, but I could tell you Rabbi Yohanan says if you do it, well, you are affecting something, you're not affecting him, but you're affecting his legions. Answers the Gemara Shaner Bihanina. Hanina was different because his merit was so bountiful. He was maybe what we might describe as a Sadiq Gamur. So two, two uh, parting thoughts on this Midrash. First and foremost, uh, what does that mean? Because he had Zechut, so he's different than other people. It reminds me of the interpretation of Ramban Nahmani in his Perush at the beginning of uh, Parashat Nawah. I've mentioned it once. I think. Uh, so the Pasuk says that Noah was Ish Sadiq Tamim Hayab Dorotav. It doesn't just say he was a righteous person, it says he was Sadiq 
Tamim, he was a holy righteous person, holy with the WH, right? And so what's the significance? Just say he's a Sadiq. What's Sadiq Tamim? Ramban, if you read it properly, at least in my opinion, sets forth the following opinion, a following approach, says along the following lines, if we're going to be very literal, and you shouldn't be, but for our purpose, we'll be very literal. Harambam, quoting from Gemara Masech Roshanan, Daftetzayin describes that each person and the world are judged on a consistent or maybe yearly basis in which if you have more wrongdoings than righteous deeds, you get put to death. Those are the words of Harambam. It's the words of the Gemara Rav Kruz Okay, so assuming, let's say, the world really works in that way, and we're taking this overly literally, that you literally the world is destroyed in the moment that there's more iniquities than right to than right actions and so forth. Here is a guy who's a Sadiq. He's in Sedom. He's a righteous person. He goes down with Sedom because the city is judged or he gets uh, the out. Lot gets the out but because of Abraham the Torah says. This guy's stuck in Sedom but he's a righteous person. If he's a righteous person but a part of the sin so he's got more righteous deeds, more righteous ways than negative ways, the argument is. He goes down with them. He was added onto, and there's the scale. He's, he's a part of both sides. He might be helping one side more than the other, but he goes down with them. If alternatively, he's a Sadiq Gamur, he's a person who's completely removed from their ways. He's a Sadiq Tamim of Noah. He's a complete righteous individual. He, that's, that's his out. I have nothing to do with this enterprise. I might be living here, I may have been trying to learn, but I'm a Sadiq Amur. The statement of Rabbi Hanina of Nafish Zichuteh, perhaps, is along those lines. Says Rabbi Hanina, listen, generally speaking, if you're a part of this, this enterprise, if you're a part of this regular existence business, yeah, there could be an effect on you. I'm, I'm, I'm altogether removed. I have. I know the question. I'm just telling you, Ramban on Tamim, I know. I'm, I'm not simplifying any of this. I'm not simplifying any of this at all. I'm just, I, I am, in reality, I'm not. For purposes of explaining the Midrash, I am to get across the point. Again, uh, just uh, one other, uh, you know, mashal on that line. Uh, you have the classroom, and they've all done wrong, but there's one guy in the corner, this guy, he didn't do anything. They all cheat on the test, he didn't cheat on the test. The question is, you take it out on him? Well, he was in the room at the same time, so forth. The question is, to what extent was he removed from the wrongdoing? Was he literally fully removed? Like he was really in the corner by himself? No, you can't include him in it. Alternatively, even if they're just looking at his answers, even if he just one question, whereas they did 30 questions each, He's a part of it. How are you going to take him out of it? Now you're going to turn this. That's nafish zechute. It is important, and it bears mention as well. Rabbeinu Behayef, I'm not mistaken, quotes from this is well known. Rabbeinu Hananel. See, Rabbeinu Hananel is the precursor to Harambam in this approach to Midrashim, as his uncles, many others, in taking the shedim and the kishuf out of the description of the hachamim, always looking to take it out of the literal interpretation in the Talmud. Whereas Rashi will embrace it and accept it. Rabbeinu Hananel is oftentimes taking you away from that in many circumstances. His suggestion in this Gemara is that this answer at the end, nafish zechuter it's what we call shinuyat be'alma. It's just an answer. He didn't need that answer. This was not an actual issue. It's not as if he suggests Mechashifa has any real validity, a Harambam type of approach. It's not that he needed that merit to get out. It's, it's to, what meets your eyes is you need the merit because Mechashifa has a Khashafa So the Gemara says, yeah, he was different. He didn't need to be different. Kishuf doesn't actually do anything. That's his suggestion well, along the lines of Harambam. You know what I mean? So at the time of Adam Bomb, the, the, the belief in this 
Not as great, but still, still present. Again, so that so you're right, Morris. Your a Maimonidean mindset. Your mindset is Harambam's approach. The majority, not Rabbi Hananel, is with Harambam. The majority will argue differently. They'll argue we don't have it relevant any longer today. It doesn't abound. Uh, we don't. We don't come in contact with that. But there is something, or was something there. I'm not. Uh, for my purpose, I'm not taking sides. I will take sides in a moment when we talk about magic shows. That's where I'll take sides, because there it's important. You understand, um, you're just in trouble. If you're actually subscribing to Haram Bam, you're in real trouble. Uh, what's that? So it's Mechashefa according to Haram Bam. Mechashefa as, as an enterprise, it doesn't exist. It's, that's what Mechashefa is. Understood, understood. I hope it didn't sound as if I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. It uh, very much along. Well, it depends which you know which iteration of the Ayn Hara you're referring to. Is uh, there are different interpretations? So I I understand. So it, 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 uh, it it's a uh, give me. I don't know. I, I it's it's a whole class on it. I wanted to see if I could give you al regalahat. The answer is it doesn't per se get into this because it's not a mechashefa realm. Nobody's ever arguing that ayin hara is affecting uh, sorcery in some respect. People will argue that there is an energy which is created. But that's an energy which is not a kishuf energy, which so to speak the Torah is prohibiting. Haram Bam will have no mention of ayin hara either uh, because quite clearly he thinks it's silliness. I mean, that's, there's no question. About that, there are different. I'm, I'm going, I'm going, Morris, Morris, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna naturalize it. But we know scientifically, we know scientifically, the answer is yes. So before, before you dismiss it, we, it's not a defiance. It's an energy which he implanted potentially. Not a Maimonidean approach. Yeah, but I understand. But we have scientifically, empirically proven or semi-proven circumstances in which people had positive energy about one plant as opposed to another one. And this was proven statistically with significant statistics that the ones with the positive energy were more successful in the growth than the negative. So it's not a bias. It's not that they're watering it more. But I'm telling you, Ayn Hara is along, if you interpret it as such, it's along the same lines. It's a negative energy. It's not playing God. It's that when there is negative energy in the, in the air, and it's not a self-fulfilling prof, uh, prophecy, because I'm not telling the person per se what's going on, I am telling you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God created the world potentially with such forces. That's not tapping into per se, a manipulation of those forces. It's just as it is. All right, longer, it, it, we need sourcing. We can't do this in, in, in the air, in my opinion. Says the Gemara, Amar bi ayevu bar nigri, Amar bi hiya bar belatehim. Just very briefly, before we get back to magic shows, uh, uh, which will be brief as well. On the one hand, the Pasuk talks about belatehim. Now this word lat, and as she points out, you have, for example, in Megillat Rut. And when Rut enters into the gore, in the grain area, Boaz, she does it balat. Now she says it's besete, it's something that's done quietly and secretly, uh, in a secret fashion. Okay, anyway, so belatehim, the Torah says that the hartumim of parol, when they throw down their staffs, and turn them into snakes themselves, they do it belatehim. What is belatehim? Elu ma'ase shedim. 
right? so it's an, another sort of force in which you're giving energy or tapping into what's called shedim. Again, Harambam would say, don't take this at all, literally. Others, Rashi, for example, on the Gemara, seems to describe this as a, a once-upon-a-time reality. There's demons, demonic forces of some sort. That's when the Torah uses the word in that context of latem. What about when the Torah says, belahatehim? That's in the context of, uh, of makadam. The haltumim belahatehim, with the extra he, they, they turn water into blood. Elu ma'aseh keshafim, that's a different dimension of witchcraft and sorcery. Instead of turning to shedim, you do it with kishuf. Is one permitted and the other forbidden? Well, kishuf is certainly permit, prohibited. Are you allowed to t- tap into demonic forces? Happens to be, you'd be very surprised, a tremendous dispute. There is an approach in which talking to Shedim or affecting through Shedim is something that's permitted. I'll leave that conversation for a separate time. It's, it, it comes up specifically over here because who cares otherwise? If it's all prohibited, I mean, you really, we need to know one is with talking to demons and the other one is talking to Kishuf. Okay, anyway, says the Gemara Vechen Hu Omer in order to bring proof for his opinion that the word Lahat or Lahatehem is a reference <coughs> not to Shedim, but rather to Kishuf, so to speak, something that works on its own, isn't dependent upon another. Pasuk says, With describing the, this flaming, revolving sword that God places outside of Gan Eden after the banishment of Adam and Hava, so it calls it Lahat. Lahat, explains Rashi, is something that is just on its own revolving. It's not that there's uh, some sort of demonic force which is doing it. As a result, the suggestion is that lahatehem is a reference to uh, no shedim. Latehem is turning to the shedim. Again, the relevancy, aside from if you were to argue that shedim operations are permitted, is hard to understand. And Mefarshim do debate it. Amara Baye, lastly on this matter, Ahmana, excuse me, de kapid amana shed, de la kapid amana keshafim. Question is whether a person is particular in their craftsmanship of uh, kishuf on the utensil they use. If they need a specific utensil, we know it's because they're dealing with demonic forces. That demon needs a specific type of utensil, a glass one or earthenware vessel or whatever. If it's a person who's doing it with kishuf, alternatively, he's not kapid amana. He doesn't care which utensil you give him. He doesn't care which utensil he's using because it's, so to speak, coming from himself. And this is the description in the Gemara I'm not going to because I don't know beyond that. Says the Gemara now, Amar Abaye, Abaye says we should liken in a certain aspect, Keshafim, Kishuf, to Hilchot Shabbat. Hilchot Keshafim, Kilchot Shabbat. You should know there's similarities between witchcraft and Shabbat, Shema Israel. How so? Just in terms of punishment. Yesh Mehen Biskila, there are circumstances on Shabbat and in witchcraft and sorcery where you get put to death by stoning. Shabbat, you do ma'aseh b'mezid. You do something purposefully with hatra and idim on Shabbat. Sekila kishuf. Well, he'll tell us in a moment when you have that. V'yeshmehen patura asur. Then you have isuri midrabanan on Shabbat. Something called melachah she'ena sericha legufa, for example. You have circumstances where the intent is not exactly the way, quote-unquote, it needs to be. It's not an absolute melechet machashevet. And nonetheless, you're liable, albeit midrabbanam, we call that patura valasur, you're not getting put to death, but it's prohibited to do on Shabbat. You have such a similarity by kishuv. V'yesh mehen, and you have, uh, lastly, mutar lechatahilayah, matters on Shabbat, which, quote-unquote, should be forbidden midrabbanan, rabbinically speaking, but the rabbis allowed for it, and you have that by kishuv as well, matters which are absolutely permitted. What's the example in Hilchot Shabbat? Rashi gives two examples. Rashi's one example 
example is Mephis Morsa. Mephis Morsa comes up in several places, beginning of Masechet Ketubot, comes up in Masechet Shabbat. It's circumstance in which a person has a blister. Now, taking, uh, uh, opening the blister on Shabbat, or pimple by extension, might be a problem or is a problem of a tikkun mana or binyan, it's, it's, it's either building or completing something. We could discuss Yechot Shabbat separately. As a result, although I'm doing it just to relieve my pain, not interested in a hole on my body or my skin. It's prohibited because of it's, 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 it's prohibited midrabanan. Says the Gemara, however, if it's going to be in a case of pain, so the rabbis don't uh, have their gezerah. They don't decree in that circumstance. Of course, this is far from simple in the contemporary pimple, so don't, don't apply this at home because the, contemporary, the, the pimple, as opposed to a blister, and the Gemara says this, is going to emit uh, blood. Emitting blood, you won't be able to get around. It's called pisik reshe. But anyway, that's, that's one example. The other example is if you're trapping, you're ensnaring on Shabbat a snake. I don't want to use the snake. I have no intention of the snake. I just won't want the snake to bite me. In that circumstance, the rabbis permit as well. But you're not allowed to tra- trap. It's what we call even though I don't want it, but I'm not allowed to do so. But I'm doing it in order to protect myself so I don't have that za'ar on Shabbat. That's pro- permitted. That's a circumstance of on Shabbat. Okay, now let's talk about Mechashiva. So you told me there's three levels with regards to Shabbat. You said you have somewhat parallel by Mechashiva Ha'ose this Mishnah told us, Mishnah said, if you do an action of Kishuf, Biskila, what was the action of Kishuf? It was never fully defined to us. We could contrast it to when you don't do an action. What's a not doing action? If you're just sleight of hand, you're quote unquote not doing something, so it's only prohibited midrabbanan, but it's prohibited. Lastly, we'll come back to those two in just a second. What's permitted? If you recall, we saw this a page ago in the Gemara. These two emoraim every Friday, says the Gemara, used to use Yesira, Sefer Yesira. They used to, through the names of God, in some way or fashion, craft an egel, make a calf, and then eat that calf. Not any calf, an igla tilta, a calf which was at its, uh, its fattest stage. They made good, good meat for Shabbat. That's what they used to do. Was that witchcraft? Not witchcraft. Was it prohibited? Not prohibited, fully permitted. How did they do so? I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? They used Sefer Yesira. Again, I told you the closest mashal to using letters for crafting, and this is letters of the name of God, is in my mind is coding. You see a screen, what underlies the screen is letters and numbers. So that's the direction over here. Someone said to me on Shabbat when I mentioned this, he said maybe it's like a periodic table. Periodic table, you're using letters and you're putting them together in order to create something. I don't know if it's exactly that, but something along that line. It means that the letters are representative of an essence that underlies them. It's the, it's the understanding, it's the meaning that underlies gematria, as I said in the past as well. Okay, but the first things first, or, or the most important issue for us is, what about magic shows? If the Gemara over here is distinguishing between ha'oseh ma'aseh and ahizat e'naim, well, ahizat e'naim, where it's sleight of hand, it's still assumed rabbanan. It can, and perhaps must, uh, develop the Gemara like this. If, and this is an if, we'll come back to the if not, if, when we talk about Kishuf, we're talking about something of essence, something of legitimacy. 
uh, witchcraft, black magic. I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you probably no one today has any inkling as to exactly what the, maybe someone does, whatever. But we're not really involved. But there was such an entity. And when God says don't do that, it's because there is a force, which of course he implants. It's not negating him. It's not a, he's not fighting against it. But he implants it in the world. There is such a, now when the Gemara then and the Mishnah talks about the difference between it's all within the domain of Kishuv. In the legitimate realm of Mechashefa, if you did it like this, Hayav Sekila, if you did it like that, Patura Valasur. If that's the case, it has nothing to do with our magic shows today. Our magic shows nobody believes, and you can very explicitly at the onset make clear, I'm not doing Kishuf, I'm just doing sleight of hand. I'm not involved with demonic forces or any other force beyond good hands and, and quick eyes and, and, and good instinct. If that's the reality, so then this wouldn't at all impinge on our magic shows today. Alternatively, if you go with Harambam, Perik Yodel, which Shohan Aruch appears to accept as well, it depends on several factors, because there's somewhat of a contradiction from Halachate to Tetzvav and Harambam, but if you go with Harambam, it's a lot more difficult. If there was never any legitimacy, if Kishuf was never a real thing, it means what we're talking about is already, quote-unquote, fake. Or no, quote-unquote, it's already fake. So a magic show is exactly what we're talking about with Ahizat Einaim. Hacham Vada Yosef, very clearly, in Halagimal of Yahavedat, and Siman Samachet says, magic shows, magic tricks are forbidden. But he writes, even at weddings, he says, you know, why would you think a wedding is different? I don't know, people think in order to be mesameh hatan bekala for a mitzvah, maybe you could permit, he says it's asur. He is unequivocal and clear in forbidding in that circumstance. Uh, it's not simple with regards to the poskim behind David Halevi, for example, an important Sephardic posek, chief rabbi of uh, Tel Aviv uh, and Netanya was, uh, was of the opinion that, uh, that it's permitted. Why is this opinion permitted? Aside from his... His trying to twist it into Harambam as well, he says the majority opinion is there was a validity and a legitimacy to Kishuf, as we're talking about. So Harambam would say it's prohibited. But the majority opinion is that this was never, that there was Kishuf and this is not what's taking place as long as it's stated clearly at the onset of the show or it's stated to the people or everybody knows there's no real Kishuf taking place over here. It's permitted. In fact, this has always been the direction of halachat to my mind. In Haye Adams, an Ashkenazic posik from several hundred years ago, one of the first to explicitly talk about magic shows and say they're forbidden, he says, but you know something? If it's done by a non-Jew, it's permitted. Why is it permitted if it's done by a non-Jew? I'm not allowed to be a part of Kishuf. I'm not allowed to be involved. It's a terrible thing. And it's prohibited for him as well. It's never fully clear. And they got to ask about that. Hacham Vadya Yosef, Mars Khan showed me in the footnotes to the new Yahavedat. I talked about this on Shabbat. He in Yabia Omer, apparently at the end of his Teshuvah writes, but it's okay if it's done by a non-Jew. Okay, if it's done by a non-Jew, he's willing to bow. He's willing to turn in this circumstance uh, to the fact that this is far from simple, that there was ever real Kishuf. And as a result, to make the claim that we should prohibit today, because of Harambam's strong stance on this matter, it might be going too far if you prohibit it, even for non-Jews. It would be Moshe Feinstein in his in Yore De'a Chalik Dalet of his Igrot. Moshe argues that it's permitted. Now, he does say at the end of the Shabbat, it's not where I'm going. He does say, I don't think you should be involved with this. It's not my lechate hila. But he says, if it exists, he says, you can be at it. So you don't need to excuse yourself. He interestingly brings uh, two, uh, two circumstances to not prove, but to set forth this idea. He says, a person's doing sleight of hand. A person is skilled, and he's able to do something that looks like it's superhuman and beyond the natural. That's prohibited. 
He says Shimshon was doing Asur things. He's a really strong person. He was able to stretch the dimensions of existence to go beyond to extent that was prohibited. We never see that that's prohibited his strength. He says the Midrash says that Naftali, Gemara Masechet Sota, had swift legs. Ayala Shiluchan, as a result, Yaakov, or the brothers send him to get certain documents after the death of Yaakov. That was prohibited because he had swift legs to the extent that it looked like he was superhuman and supernatural. It wasn't prohibited. Ramosha finds him not based on that, but as part of his argument says, to use sleight of hand, assuming people realize, and that's the important assumption, I'll just very briefly tell you, my father-in-law loves magic. He's always makpid at the beginning of his uh, things. He always says, I just want to warn everyone, not because of me, I want to warn everyone, I'm not doing any witchcraft, nothing I'm doing is real, I'm just doing a sleight of hand. In that circumstance, in my opinion, it is permitted. If I could prove it to you, we had a magic show here on Purim. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.